Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 through 12. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord had sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Hard for me to choose songs that I like more than the ones you chose today, Tamara, so thank you very much. We have changed books from Exodus to Deuteronomy, but not so much uh, characters. We will next week, but today we've got one last thing to say about our friend Moses. I said this to you last week, and, and I'll reiterate it. There, there might be some good in estimating oneself and looking at oneself and then looking at Moses and confessing the difference. But I, I would caution us that that is not our ultimate hope, that we would somehow finally be like Moses. That's it's not a bad goal. It's just not the ultimate goal. We hope to pass Moses on the way toward Christ's likeness. Because what we continue to say around here, and we will always say around here is, man, it's super, super important that we look at ourselves and we look at Jesus and confess the difference in the hope of achieving that which God says is achievable, which is Christ-likeness for each of us and all of us. In fact, today will be a somewhat difficult sermon because we're going to end up saying some things about Moses that are not all that complimentary. Because the text says some things about Moses that are complementary and yet are not complementary. What we'll see today is that Moses, for all intents and purposes, has been something of a conjunction. Now, within the field of astronomy, a conjunction is a time when heavenly bodies come together. So, uh, you maybe may not have known this, but this just this past, uh, let's see, the 22nd, so that would be last past Thursday night, we had a conjunction. Jupiter and Saturn and even the moon were close enough together to be seen by the naked eye. All outside by the naked eye, you can see them. I, I didn't know it until it was too late. Apparently, there's going to be here in, in December another conjunction, again, Jupiter and Saturn, and it will be the closest these two bodies have come, at least where our vision is concerned, since 1623. That's a big deal. So a conjunction is when heavenly bodies come together. And, and I think you could say in some manner of speaking that Moses was something of a conjunction in that he brought heaven to earth. As you know, a conjunction is also a, a word type, right? And so I've asked myself this, this question this week. Um, if you could be any word type, what would you be? <laughs> would you be a noun? Would you be a verb? Would you be an adverb, an adjective? To be honest with you, about the last word I would ever choose is a conjunction. <laughs> a, a conjunction 
Never is the end of the story. A conjunction always gets you from wherever you are to wherever you're going. It's a connecting, transitional sort of word. And as a gift to all of us who are my age or roughly thereabouts, I want to give you some idea of what a conjunction is by returning to my childhood and playing just a little bit of schoolhouse rock for you. Amen. <laughs> Got ahead of me. I love it. Conjunction, junction. Junction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cards that get most of my job done. Conjunction, junction, what's their function? I got and, button, or, they'll get you pretty far. And, that's an additive, like this and that. But, Sort of the opposite, not this, but that. And then there's or, O-R, when you have a choice like this or that. And but or, get you pretty far. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up two boxcars, making them run right. Milk and honey, bread and butter, peas and rice. Hey, that's nice. Dirty butt, happy, digging and scratching, losing your shoe and a button or two. He's poor but honest, sad but true. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up two cards to one when you say something like this. Choice, either now or later, or no choice. Neither now nor ever. Hey, that's Right? Oh, I just love those things. There are 40-some-odd of those things. I love them. And, and actually, it's part of the way that I remember conjunctions. Like, anybody else use those things still? Like, they, like I know how a bill becomes a law, that kind of stuff. It kind of makes a conjunction cool. But I got to tell you, I don't know if I've actually aspired to be a conjunction. I think I aspire to be... <laughs> Something more than that. But I will tell you, I'm starting to believe as I survey the landscape and I look in the mirror, I'm starting to believe that I'm not going to get the world fixed by the time I pass away. I'm starting to believe that perhaps there will be some of these issues that will outlive me and that the, the movement of God, the mission of God, the, the missio Dei, which we'll get back to at the end, is something that is larger than I am. In fact, larger than Moses is. And Moses, for at least a minute there, forgot this. But God didn't forget that Moses forgot. Do you remember we were back in Exodus and we were at this place called Massa and Meribah and the people were anxious for water. They were, they were scared and they were anxious for water. And they come rushing to uh, Moses and they say something like this. Did you bring us out here to die? Did you bring us out here to die? Moses, at this moment, seems to have forgotten that it's about something bigger and more than Moses. And Moses goes scurrying to God and says, hey, they're about to kill me. They're about to kill me. By the way, later on in Scripture, Jesus will say something similar. They're about to kill me. But when Moses says, hey, they're, they're about to kill me, there's something that happened there, and I told you at the time, and I'm going to return to something I told you at the time, that that was actually a bad chapter. That was a bad story. Lots of things broke that day. Included in the things that broke that day was Moses' place in the story. Moses, in that moment, and this is so judgmental, but this is what the text is doing with Moses today, too. Moses, in that moment, 
kind of forgot that it was about God and not about Moses. And God did not forget that Moses forgot. Deuteronomy 32, verse 48. On that very day, the Lord addressed Moses as follows. Ascend this mountain of Ebraim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from the Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites for possession. You shall die there on that mountain that you ascend and shall be gathered to your kin as your brother Aaron died just a few chapters ago on Mount Hor and was, di- and was gathered to his own kin. Verse 51, because both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Massa and Meribah in the wilderness of Zin by failing to maintain my holiness among the Israelites. Although you may view the land from a distance, you shall not enter it, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Wow. That that seems harsh. That seems awfully harsh for God to say to someone who has been so faithful. For God to say to someone who has performed such miraculous deeds. We're going to get to the verses that Chesney read earlier. That That seems rough. Why in the world... Would God do such a thing and say such a thing to such a person? Well, there's all kinds of theories, and I have my own, and, and here's, here's my theory. That this isn't written just for Moses. In fact, it's not written for Moses. It's written for people like me. It's written for people like you who have to, on a regular basis, be reminded that it's bigger than us. And we can't lock in and say to ourselves, I aspire to be like Moses We have larger and better targets to aspire to than Moses. And so perhaps here in this passage of Scripture, perhaps Scripture keeps for us this record of this harsh exchange, this uncomfortable exchange, so as to give us some encouragement that it is in fact bigger than us. And maybe some corrective to how it is that we do see the world and see ourselves in it and understand our lives in it. I'm going to ask you this question now, but I'm going to ask you later too. To whom does your life point? To whom does your life point? Lots of people's lives point at themselves. To whom does your life point? Another way to ask the same question is, Who is God? If your life points to you, you are effectively your own God. To whom does your life point? The way that you argue and disagree. The way that you spent. The way that you relate. The way that you do business. To whom does your life point? There was a scene in here. There was a scene in this long story, in this long, even good, we've even talked about it, this dear, intimate relationship between Moses and God. There was a moment when Moses' life pointed to Moses and not to God. God remembered it. So here we are in chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, 
which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land. This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, and I have let you see it. Though this was a gift to him. And we even think this was something miraculous because there's no way, given the geography of the time, given the geography now, there's no way to take one person all the way up to the top of this mountain, no matter how high, and give him that opportunity to see everything without the gift of God's help. But you shall not cross over there. Verse 5. Then Moses... The servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab as the Lord commanded. And actually, the Hebrew says, God buried him <laughs> in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. This is great. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. So now we're going to start trending back toward God saying these incredibly good things about Moses, because that's also the truth. Moses was miraculous. And notice how often in this particular passage we have words that reference sight or vision or eyes. His sight was unimpaired. He could see not only the entirety of the promised land that's about to be given to the Israelites, but we feel like now Moses can see the length of the story in which Moses was involved. Can you? Can you? To whom does your life point? Do you recognize, do you recognize that you are a character in a larger story? Do you know that you're a character in a larger story of which you are not the main character? The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days, and then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. There is a forward movement to the mission of God. Now, never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants in his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Mo Moses performed in the sight, there it is again, of all Israel. So God gives Moses this miraculous sense of vision to see all the land when it would, be not, when it would not be possible for anyone to see today. And he gave vision and sight and eyes. God gives Moses the gift of perspective and vision so that Moses can see the breadth of the promised land and the length of this particular story. The larger vision is in mind here, that God is doing something larger than me, larger than my relationship with God, larger than what is going on in our country and world. It's not a matter now of making a name for ourselves, but being at the place of servanthood, being open to the vision that God places before us. Moses said, they're about to kill me. Jesus said, they're about to kill me, but not what I will. but what you will. Moses said, they're about to kill me. God did come to the rescue. And if you remember, there was water from the rock. Jesus said, they are about to kill me. Remember? Be great if you would take this cup from me. 
but not what I will, what you will. Did you know in Scripture we are offered the resources to be something more than Moses? And Moses is something else now. I mean, statues, very frightening statues of Moses everywhere. Moses was something else. I mean, horns on his head, Moses. I don't even know what that is. There's hair. But we are given the resources. We are offered at least the resources to be something more than Moses. And yet, and yet, still understand ourselves as but pieces of a larger puzzle, characters in a story larger than we are. I know that you all uh, will be just as grateful as I will be here in about nine days to see at least fewer God-awful commercials. Amen. I also am aware of great despair in the minds and the hearts of people on both sides. Great, great, great despair. You, you sometimes get the impression that all of creation is hanging in the balance for what happens on November 3rd or the month after. <laughs> creation is not hanging in balance no matter how it comes out on November 3rd. <laughs> I mean, maybe if Moses all is all that we're actually aspiring to, then you could convince me that, oh man, we got, we got trouble. But we aspire to something bigger and better than Moses. What the resurrection tells us is that God intends for life. God intends for life. And yes, there are, can be competitors to this throne of lordship. And yes, these competitors throughout human history have been demonstrated to be dangerous, to, to be the kinds of people, and there can be the kinds of movements that do great damage to God's creation. And yet, God has never once been knocked off the throne in all God's people said. I want you to get involved. I want you to study. I want you to learn. I want you to vote. And then I want you to know that God's still God. Christian people need to stop white-knuckling this election. God will still be God. John, there could be violence in the streets. Yeah, I've heard that too. And man, if somehow we find out that they are people of faith that are participating in the violence, then I, I would... Uh, recommend that we start finding different words to describe ourselves so that we could differentiate from them. Let me say it as clearly as I can before I move on and stop meddling. If your candidate doesn't win, it's okay. Yes, but you don't realize what I do. I do. And when I say I do, I'm not so much telling you how much I've studied about the issues. I have. I have. What I'm saying is, I'm a student of the story and a character in a larger story, and neither candidate has the power to alter the story that we are all in. 
calm down. Go vote. But people, calm down. If you're watching today, God, love you. Thank you for being here. Calm down. If Moses wasn't enough to alter the plan, neither Biden nor Trump will be enough to alter the plan. I am totally fishing for an amen here. You ready? On November 4th, God will still be God. If you struggle to say amen there, you need to look in the mirror. And you need to answer this very important question. To whom is my life pointing? We are not here. We are not here to be the end of the story. We are here to point to the one who is the main character. I mentioned this earlier. Missio Dei is a Latin term, means the mission of God. The Missio Dei is supposed to animate us and organize our steps. When I say to you, it's important that you understand yourselves first as Christian, as a part of this Missio Dei before you understand yourselves as anything else, and that includes your family roles, that includes your, your lives and work and vocation, that includes your party, God help us. You need to understand yourselves as Christian before you are any, anything else, anything else. Another way to say that same thing is this. Our first mission is God's mission. Everything comes after God's mission. I found this little video, I hope it's helpful to you as it has to do with the Missio Day. The mission has always been seen primarily as God's work. It's the Missio Dei, God's outreach into a broken world. Many Christians read the Bible as a kind of box of promises or a book of rules without really recognizing that it is fundamentally a story. A narrative that has a beginning and an end, begins with creation, ends with new creation. And like all good stories, it has a problem. It begins with a good beginning, God created the world. Then there's the problem of human sin and rebellion and the wrecking of human relationships and the scattering and division of the nations. Creation and humanity and individuals are broken by sin. Mission. It is God's good plan for this world, and it's much broader than evangelism. Evangelism is a part of mission. Literally, the Greek word means uh, telling good news. It is the good news of what the Lord has done. Then God launches the program of redemption in history, beginning with the call of Abraham and working right through the story and the promise of Israel, coming to the climax in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who then deals with the brokenness of individual sinners, of the strife of nations and the brokenness of creation, and through his death and resurrection accomplishes the reconciliation of the whole creation, as Paul puts it in Colossians.
the real thing that got the movie was Jesus and the resurrection. To see that it had actually come in a historic person. And the fact that this person had smashed the power of death and was alive, and that was skewing this movement out over antiquity. And then the story moves forward through the mission of the church, and the, the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole of both creation and nations and individuals, until the climax comes with the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment of the new creation. And so the Bible ends, in a sense, where it began, with the creation narrative restored, uh, with God once again dwelling with us here on earth. When you begin to see the whole Bible as a whole narrative, creation to new creation, centered on the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It helps us to see where our place is in that narrative. It's a big cosmic universal plan. And the wonder is, I'm part of a story which began long before I came along and which will go on long after I'm dead until the Lord returns. And within that great overarching biblical story, my fraction of a life story will have had some meaning and purpose to the mission of God. And it has to be true because they have European accents. I like that the most. And so, not only am I a conjunction, but we are a conjunction. The church is a conjunction. Never understanding ourselves as ultimate, but always, having as a connect, but always being a connecting entity. We connect people to God and the grace of God and the purposes of God. We don't exist to gather. We gather to exist and extend God and the mission of God. Now, what we do is not unimportant. Who we are, who I am, this is not unimportant. In fact, our senses of identity are crucial in the mission of God, as, in fact, God intends for us to be crucial. But we are not the end of the sentence. We aren't the end of the story. We aren't the main points of the story. But we are meant, you and I, to point to the point of the story. God, give us the grace to be conjunctions when we want to be proper nouns <laughs> and action verbs. Give us the grace and the energy to gather, to practice, and rehearse the life and the life skills we need so as to be able to point faithfully and consistently to you, the source of life, the source of hope, the source. If you haven't yet taken disciple, that is in a nutshell what Jason's trying to do. And, and I just saw this week, and I won't say her name because I didn't ask for permission, but I was just thrilled to see this post this week from one of our, one of our people in our church who's taken this class who said, I used to think that Exodus was boring. <laughs> just all this law stuff, but now she says she's just eaten up with it, like game day eaten up with it and that kind of excitement. And there is that kind of excitement when you recognize what it is that you are meant to be and to do. And you are meant to point. You are meant to be a conjunction. Your life, my life, our lives together will be better. The better we understand the larger thing that we are here to do and the more comfortable we, we get with pointing, maybe then we won't worry as much about November the 3rd. It's time to pray. I'm going to pray a few words of a prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason. I hope that you will pray this prayer. And by the way, why don't you go ahead and stand because we're going to sing before as we 
have done throughout this particular series. We're going to sing, Lord, I need you. And I hope that you allow that to be the first line of your prayer. May it put us all in proper places where the timeline is concerned. Lord, I need you to be the larger story, to be the main character, to be the point. Lord, I need you. And so would you sing with us now before I pray this prayer of confession. Father, we confess that as we listen to the voices around us, we are tempted to believe that you are not the point, that there is not a larger story that we are living out. We are tempted away from some of our central truths that make us who we are. We confess, God, that sometimes after having listened to the wrong voices for long enough, Sometimes we find ourselves as the center of our own stories and our lives point merely back to ourselves. Well, that's what we confess today. That we do have this human tendency to point at someone other than you. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's another person that we have put on such a pedestal. Now, church, I would like for you to pray your own prayer of confession if somehow you recognize today that your life does not point to the source, it's a good time to pray that prayer of confession now.
God, help us to be appropriately anxious and diligent, vigilant. But not more than we need to be. Hear us now as we confess together. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life.